South American Football Show. We're back after a long hiatus, even by our standards, but we're here to look back at a pretty epic World Cup qualifying doubleheader full of massive drama, underwater matches and a sprinkling of near beheadings. So everything you want from uh, South American football. And obviously, we'll also cast our eyes over some of the biggest movers in the transfer window, too. Um, I'm Tom Robinson. Many of you will have heard me on the World Football Index podcast before. It's my maiden presenting gig. So be kind, everyone. And uh, yeah, try not to be too horrible in the comments. And uh, and I'm joined by a new face on the show. Um, it's Mike Rice, who's a regular contributor to the website and is our man in Peru. Mike, how, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. And uh, enjoying the um, the World Football that's uh, just been going on. Uh, uh, just glad to be able to watch it at a normal time now. I'm uh, now I'm over here in Lima. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, that's definitely one of the benefits of uh, of not having to stay up extremely late. And um, and then for our listeners, tell us tell us a bit more about how long you've been out there, how you've been uh, finding the the Peruvian experience so far. Um, so I've spent around two years out here over the past sort of uh, three or four years, um, back and forth, just here permanently now. Um, came back uh, in November um, so it's been yeah good to be able to get more involved now now we're permanent uh, and we've got the um, Liga Liga One Peru starting today as well so it's uh, turning up at the uh, turned up at a good time for the football yeah definitely a good time to to, to be out there and um, yeah also you know great to, great to have you on the ground we've got those ambient sounds that we always like to have on on the podcast so you know you're bringing a lot to the table already um so let's jump straight into things um as we look in these crunch commonwealth qualifiers uh, you know things were finally poised going into this round brazil and argentina obviously already qualified with ecuador in third and then just four points separating fourth and ninth with only four games remaining um so colombia peru Uruguay, Chile, even Bolivia, and to some extent Paraguay, you could maybe argue, um, were still in the mix. Um, and we had some huge six-pointers between uh, particularly Colombia and Peru. And it was Peru who um, emerged victorious, uh, 1-0 in that first game. How, how did you see the game, Mike? And um, can you let us know what the feeling is like in Peru right now? Well, it was um, probably one of the most stressful games you could watch as a Peru fan and one of the most frustrating as a Colombia fan. I think it was, uh, it was non-stop pressure from Colombia, uh, especially in the first half um, Peru got seemed to break into the Colombia half three, maybe four times, um, but the attacks were very limited, uh, and Colombia just poured forward. Peru got their um, got their fullbacks in nice and uh, nice and central. They did a midfielder right in front of the fence and made it very difficult. And this late late counter attack in like the 80, uh, 85th minute was um, only our uh, first shot on target, and then the other. Um, fourth shot of the, of the entire game I think it was um, caught there with Yerimina up front from a Columbia free kick uh, players piled forward they, they were just doing everything all game trying to get through but um, Edison Flores back from long long injuries this last year managed to get the goal and a huge huge relief um, for the whole of Peru uh, was sitting there very uh, very uncomfortably throughout and um, I can only imagine it's incredibly uncomfortable for Colombia once again, like an, an, another game without a goal. Uh, long, long yeah. stretch there going. That's uh, absolutely incredible. I mean, obviously, we'll come on to the, the Colombia second game as well, but um, 
yeah, I think it was 30 shots for Colombia, but only two of those on target. So much more about the quality of goal scoring opportunities rather than the quantity. Um, and they've got they've got real uh, trouble. But it was such um, a fantastic goal to win it as well, wasn't it? That beautiful assist from Cueva, you know, beating a man, slipping that through ball floor. And and Edson Flores um, really in, in both games was the was the bright spark, if you'll if you'll pardon the pun. Yeah, he's um, he played. A, he started a friendly uh, recently um, against uh, Panama and really struggled. It was his first game back in the in the, um, the national team for a while. But Gareca, the manager, really trusts him, um, and it's been a long. He's had a lot of troubles in um, in the MLS uh, with DC United with injury. He struggled to really get going. Struggled to get fine form. Um, but Gareca, Gareca sees sees something in him, and using him sparingly just as a second half sub for these last two games has been has been a masterstroke. It seems really to uh, yeah come away with these four points. Exactly, and and in terms of Peru's approach, some people might potentially call it slightly negative or um, a bit lucky that they they got that goal despite all that Colombia pressure. Or would you contest that it's it's more? perfect tactics from Gareca and and you know how, how do you how do you see that do you, do you think they rode their luck or was it was it all part of the game plan um oh yeah, there, there's elements of riding the luck definitely um there was long periods you see Colombia pouring forward pouring forward um Gaiese, the goalkeeper has been incredible he's made some fantastic saves uh, throughout this um, tournament and he's a he's a big part of um, the national team he keeps the keeps the defense organized really well in this game, we had um, Aldo Corso was playing at right back. He's a player who's never left Peru. He's played in the Peruvian leagues uh, all this time, and he's up against Luis Diaz, uh, one of the most exciting wingers uh, in world football, really. And they just they perform so hard. They work so hard defensively, and you can say it's a ne- quite negative to watch. But we're a um, a very counter-attacking team. There's some limitations you could say to how we all play um, with, the, with the squad we've got but with our with our um, first 11 we've got a very an exciting front three with um, Cueva and Carrillo on the wings and uh, Lapadula uh, up front have got a lot of energy and when we can attack sides on the counter-attack we, we can be very uh, very dangerous and we showed that in um, showed that against Colombia that just one chance uh, and we managed to take it with um, with Flores but you could say we rode our luck somewhat with with the pressure, but Colombia were finding it difficult. I think they were really when it got into that second half, they were they were realizing we're having attack after attack, but we're just not getting clear cut chances. Um, Definitely. There's a point Hammers broke into the box, and he's just he, he's carrying it from the right hand side to the left hand side of the box, and he can't find a um, can't find a way through, and eventually just throws himself to the ground hoping for a penalty. Uh, it just seemed that they in each each attack they were getting, they were just getting incredibly frustrated and that's that's all credit to the Peruvian defence and the midfield with Tapia in front of them it's good great credit to them I think mm, yeah 100% I think that's one thing that I really took away from both these Peru games was their their spirit their fight you know they were putting bodies on the line they were they were really giving it their all and, and then obviously breaking away and and making those those chances count so I think a lot of credit has to go to Peru that's you know it's a tough place to go um over in Colombia yes they're struggling for for form and confidence and above all goals right now but to go go to Colombia get the three points was absolutely huge and and I totally agree with you about what uh, you know what you said about Colombia there because in the game against Argentina it was very similar they just 
moved the ball so slowly. They were so cautious and uninspiring. And and for especially in the second game, for a game that they just have to win, I, I was just so disappointed by their meek display in, in the first half against Argentina. They just really didn't create anything of note apart from a, a Borca chance, I think, that um, Martinez saved um, uh, really well. Um, but, you know, for for a side that were just staring down the, the barrel of, uh, of missing out on the World Cup, there was just very little fight from them, um, in, certainly in the Argentina game as well. And, and um, yeah, they're, they're really, really struggling now. I mean, I think they're still got um, a little bit of a chance but it's not in their in in their hands anymore i think against bolivia and paraguay even though the the fact that they're not scoring right now there's i can't see them not winning those two games so you've got to imagine that colombia are probably going to end up on on 23 points there and it's all about those sides above them how they can how they can do and and obviously um peru now have have got a huge um, huge game against Uruguay coming up after after grabbing a point uh, against Ecuador, um, which you know mean, means Ecuador are inching towards uh, World Cup qualification, but they still haven't quite made it uh, mathematical just yet. So before we move on to to that big Uruguay game, uh, do you, yeah, do you want to take us through your thoughts on on the game uh, between Peru and Ecuador? Yeah, well, we had um, <laughs> one nil down after two minutes. So it was a terrible. Um, just a, it was a simple long ball from uh, it's Felix Torres, uh, the Ecuador centre back, and um, Alexander Cayens, who's been a really um, big part of the um, Peru national team for a, for a little while now. He's really stepped up as a centre back. Just loses complete flight of the ball. Yeah, he's 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 just facing straight on as the ball comes over his head. And uh, Estrada, I think, is um, just picks it up. Well, takes the takes the ball, uh, a great first touch, and puts it past um, Gaetze. It was just a complete lack of concentration. Um, and the rest of that first half, Peru were very chaotic. You could see Ecuador were much sort of cleaner in possession. They had their, they had their game plan. They knew how they wanted to play. And that first half. The, the early goal really rattled Peru and it was um, very chaotic. There wasn't much organisation going forward. They didn't know how to use um, Ormeño, uh, the centre-back. Um, unfortunately, Lapadula got his nose broken uh, against Colombia and was unable to play. Um, so we bring in Ormeño, he's a much different player, more of a target man. He's um, not, not as mobile as Lapadula, he was all action. Um, and Peru weren't sure how to use him. It's, uh, they were, it was constant high balls forward to him that were hard to hard to deal with under pressure from two centre-backs so there's no out ball lots of running around but no no organization um again Gareca makes these changes again Flores on at um, half time and Ormeño comes off um for Canchita one of the sporting Cristal um midfielders um here in Peru so it goes into sort of like a false nine but we get a lot more dynamism back with how we were playing uh, a lot more um a lot more organised uh, pressing that was working a lot better, and uh, Peru grew into the game and managed to get the goal. Um, came at uh, fortunate uh, circumstances, somewhat, with um, an Ecuador player going down injured and the uh, substitute unable to find his shirt. Um, so they were down to ten men for a while while um, the substitute looked for his shirt to come on. And we capitalised. Uh, the referees that play on, let's keep going. We got the ball forward and Avincula crosses to the back post and uh, Flores gets the header. And uh, Ecuador are furious, but 
Um, unfortunately, it's uh, it was um, their own fault to a degree. It's happened to us, Peru, before. We in the last qualifiers, I think I could have been against Argentina. I can't remember actually who it was against, but um, yeah, we had a sending off and a player down injured and couldn't get another player on just while trying to sort out shirts and things like that. And we were down to nine men, but this in this case it's worked out and we've got the point. Um, just amazing celebrations yeah. as well, wasn't it, for the goal? There's such an outpouring of emotion. Yeah, and it was, I mean, previously, uh, only a few weeks ago, there was going to be no fans allowed um, in the stadium. The, uh, the government decided, uh, because obviously the um, coronavirus pandemic, they decided that um, there would be no fans allowed. A little while, yeah, about a week or so before, they decided to offer um, 50% capacity. And then uh, that went within a matter of moments and they added on an extra 25% and the, so the stadium just built and built and fans were finally back in the stadium uh, which maybe kind of brought some of the uh, the pressure and the uh, chaos of the first half of all these uh, all the fans finally getting behind Peru um, but yeah when that goal went in Flores couldn't control himself he's screaming the fans are going crazy um, and we looked a lot better in the second half Ecuador are a very good team they very much deserve their deserve to be going to Qatar I think that like you say it's not mathematical but I mean they've got a plus uh, positive 10 goal difference whereas everyone else below them's on the minus so um, I can't it's uh, only a matter of time for them um, a decent team and it's a well-earned point I think we were, I think especially with the way the first half went to get to get a point against Ecuador at home which was a good result yeah for sure I think for Ecuador's point of view as well I'm it kind of panned out exactly as they wanted. Getting that that early goal meant they could just sit back and, and they almost scored a, a carbon copy with that long Felix Doris <laughs> yeah. um, punt forward to Estrada. So it could have even been more. I think it's interesting to look at Ecuador's double header because they've come out of it with two credible draws, uh, which, you know, in any other context is, is going to be good results. But both you could maybe argue that they, they felt a, a bit unlucky to not get more out of but for me going into this round I think the the key thing was just don't lose to Peru and you're going to maintain that gap between the two of you and and it's going to take you know an absolute disaster and and a miracle for other teams to to get ahead of you so I don't think they'll be too fussed about having to wait another another match or two to secure the the qualification because um, yeah they're, they're looking like a decent team and even though there's a lot of young players there, the future's looking really great for them. Incapié, Caicedo, Plata, that's, that's the spine of a really good um, team going forward. And, and I think they, they're looking like a team that could cause a few upsets um, at the World Cup. I, I don't know too much what to expect from them, whether the occasion will, will get to, the, um, to them, especially if there's a lot of young players there. You know, we've seen that with, you know, you could argue with Peru at the last World Cup that, that perhaps the occasion got to got to the players a little bit there but um yeah great news for for Peru and another of the teams um who's really really happy with the way things have gone have been Uruguay what did you make of um of their games yeah so they've um moved on from their uh from their longtime uh coach Oscar Tavares and brought in um Diego Alonso in his last role was with um, Inter Miami um, and he's changed them up he's moved it into a sort of more of a 4-4-2 he's got um, last game out with Suarez and Cavani up front and they've had his first two games 
I'd say if you were going to um, if you were going to go into a South American qualifiers and pick two games you'd like to play, maybe Paraguay away and Venezuela at home would be the two you pick. So it's, it's not been the most the, the hardest um, of games, but obviously it's that's that's not Alonso's choice. Uh, they're the teams he's got to play, and they've done well. Um, we see um, started off brilliantly against Venezuela, getting that goal in the first minute and just calming all nerves. I think they've. From going for that long run of just really struggling to get going, they're not finding not finding their feet in the attacking third. Really, they they seem to be a lot more of a, a, the new manager bounce. Maybe they a bit more revitalised, a bit of a change of emphasis on how they're going forwards. And it looks like with who they're playing um, going forwards uh, into these next um, into these next games, it could could well be on their way to Qatar. Yeah, no, I, th- I think I mean obviously it was a huge round for them, and they they needed any. You know, they could only get six points realistically from these uh, two games to give themselves a chance. And now it's in their hands. But what I really liked, um, obviously, Alonso's had an impact there. You could see more attacking intent. You'd see better pressing and intensity. But I liked how there was a sort of blend of the old and the new there. You know, you got the old gritty Uruguay grinding out that win against Paraguay with uh, Godin and Suarez both playing key roles. Um, in not only just the goal, but I think they both uh, hit the woodwork there and um, generally you know, both played well. But then also that first half against Venezuela, they just completely blew them away. I mean, yes, it may only be Venezuela, but um, that's, you know, there, there's some good players on that team. And, and the, it was, I think it was more the manner in which they, they just swatted the, them aside in the first half. Bentancourt with that lovely early goal. Pelistri as well. That, that was a gamble that really paid off. He was absolutely sensational in that first half is his run and an assist for the second goal was was great and and I think it was um important as well to uh, note uh Ronald Araujo's position there is in a kind of a, a defensive right back role you know he he was able to allow Pelistri to get to get forward knowing that he's got someone solid behind him who, who can who can do the job and and also it meant that Godin probably had someone alongside him who's, who's got a bit more bit more legs to him so I think there's definite definite promise there and and also you saw quite a few you know young players or not necessarily all young but certainly a lot of debuts being handed out as well Oliveira um and Suarez um the two uh, the fullbacks at Getafe both getting their debuts and and certainly doing well there Oliveira in particular I think he could be really challenging Vina for that left back spot now and also Canorio and, and Rochette so players from the local league doing well and um yeah it's it's suddenly the mood has massively changed i think the the uruguayan fa have clearly thought you know what let's bring in alonso for these winnable games um and just get that that good feeling back again and and realistically i i, I mean i don't know what you think of how the the uruguay peru game is going to pan out i mean it's a it's a huge game for both of them um and particularly for if Colombia are wanting to, to get back in it, they're going to have to hope that either Peru or Uruguay has a has an absolute mare in these last two games. I mean, do you do you think there could be a little bit of a gentleman's agreement to maybe play out a draw? Or do you think Peru will be will be gunning for that victory? I think um, we'll be going for it. I uh, Knowing that fourth place gets you there, fifth place gets you in the qualifiers, going through that again. looks like a game against Australia, who may not be in... The greatest form of their lives. Um, you you want to be going for fourth. Um, I think uh, looking at looking at the other games around it. I think 
both uh, Uruguay and Peru will be keeping an eye on the Brazil-Chile game. Um, if Chile um, uh, lose in Brazil, we, we both go on to games where there's uh, a bit of a space. So Peru go on to Paraguay after that. So if we can remain just two points ahead of Chile, end up a point ahead of Colombia still and um, be in fifth, knowing we're going into the final game against Paraguay, who have nothing to play for, we'd feel quite confident in getting three points. So when it comes to this Uruguay game, it's it's looking at we we want to make we want to get fourth and just make sure. I think uh, both sides will be thinking <laughs> the same thing. Like we don't want to have to go through this playoff because who knows yeah. what could happen in that. Um, it could be a classic that that game, I think. And um, and yeah, it's obviously Chile are the, the other side in the running. There, they had an interesting time losing. 2-1 to, to Argentina in La Calama, um, but then a very commendable 3-2 win away in, in a waterlogged pitch in La Paz, which was, um, it felt like that game again was was peak Commonwealth in terms of you've got <laughs> guys with buckets trying to get uh, water off the pitch before the game. You've got an absolute altitude assisted golasso from Alexis Sanchez who was who was very good in 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 both um, their games, I, I thought. And yeah, and yeah he's, he's obviously established himself as one of the all-time top scorers in in, in Commonwealth qualifiers and uh, and yeah he's he's having a lovely little re- uh, renaissance there but I don't know like as much as Chile I think there's a lot of hope for Chile going forward but I just think that Brazil away game might have just mean that it, they've left it a little bit too late yeah I think from uh, obviously from our side it's it's looking at how I mean like I, I, I can't remember exactly, but how long it's been since Brazil have lost a uh, lost a game at home uh, in a World Cup qualifiers. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it, it dates back a long, long way. Uh, and despite being qualified already, there's still there's still a side that will go out and look to look to win the game. It's not like it's it's not that they're going to um, not they're going to take it easy against Chile. Um, so. I think it's going to be incredibly, incredibly hard for them to be able to um, get a result. And if, if they do, I mean, it's still credit to them. And it, put, it puts them in a very strong position, uh, especially with Peru and Uruguay playing each other. So, yeah, it adds to the uh, stress and excitement of the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if they can get get out of there with a point, then that, and depending how the, the Uruguay-Peru game goes, obviously, then that, that final game between Uruguay and Chile could be could be as, as monumental as the uh, as the Peru-Uruguay game. So definitely Uruguay uh, are going to be right in the mix for those two huge games. And um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a really interesting uh, final couple of games that we've got. So, I mean, we've, we won't touch too much on, on, Brazil or Argentina I think um, just to sort of from an Argentinian perspective I think it was again a really impressive window window thinking about transfers already um, a double header for, for them with the fact that they were doing it without Messi and Cudi Romero the fact that they were able to get pick up two wins against you know difficult opposition and you know we saw Di Maria really starring and and I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how he's sort of slowly playing his way back into the hearts of the Argentinian faithful um, and also Lisandro Martinez in defence was very good in both games so there was there were a lot of positives uh, to take from that and as for Brazil then obviously they came out of it keeping their unbeaten record intact absolutely thrashed Paraguay 
lovely goal from Coutinho there in um, is the highlight of that game. But um, I mean, in terms of that that Ecuador game, we can't not mention it because of the um, well, it was it was a brilliant way to kick off the Commonwealth Games because of all the decisions, all the back and forth, the VAR controversy, the refereeing. I mean, we had. Goal, uh, the Ecuadorian goalkeeper Dominguez sent off for um, for an absolute assault on Matias Cunha, um, and then Emerson Royale was was uh, you know joining him in in the early bath, um, and then Allison did his best twice, but um, didn't manage to. And uh, in the end, it was a, it was a very uh, interesting and engaging game. How how did you see those? those VAR decisions uh, go for, for Brazil. What were, you, what were your thoughts on Alisson's double red card or no red card? Yeah, it was hard to um, hard to understand, wasn't it? And so um, it, was, it, was, it was a crazy, crazy start to it all. It seemed that maybe something was going on in the changing rooms that was more exciting than the, um, more exciting than the game <laughs> for them. I don't know. It's, to be making these decisions... Um, to come out the the, the first one, um, I, yeah, I didn't know I didn't know Allison could get his foot that high um, to to get it yeah, off the ground and then to chop uh, then to chop down onto the uh, onto the Ecuador uh, striker. It, it was unbelievable. I was doing it. I guess I, I I don't know how they came to the decisions that twice he was uh, twice he was let off. But that's the way it goes, I guess, in the carnival sometimes. Yeah, I think it was, you know, whether you agree with the decisions or not, it was just the the farcical decisions of the ref having either not seeing things that were then cleared up later. And, you know, you've also got the penalty decision that was turned down as well. It was just, you know, it was just uh, the whole combination of of things just really um led to quite a farcical situation which is you know isn't the first and certainly won't be the last time we we see it so um in terms of the standings um at the moment we've got with just two games remaining we've got brazil in first with 39 points argentina just behind in second with 35 points looks like their game uh, that was uh, suspended is is probably going to be played in june now probably a glorified friendly really and wouldn't be surprising to see that in, in another country, a bit of a money earner for everyone involved, most yeah. likely. Um, and then we drop down into third where we've got Ecuador with 25 points, Uruguay in fourth with 22 points, Peru are just one point behind them on 21. And then in sixth, Chile with 19 points, Colombia in seventh with 17 points, and then Bolivia in eighth with 15, Paraguay in ninth with 13, and Venezuela rock bottom on 10 so it's still really tight in there it feels like it's a it's probably more of a showdown between uruguay peru and chile but you know colombia could if they get a miracle still get in there i mean if if i have to put you on the spot right now and you say what the final standings are going to be for the for the top top five who are you going with and, and try and put your bias to one side <laughs> um yeah even putting the bias aside i still think peru will get something in um in Paraguay, and I, I'm struggling to see Chile, Chile getting a win against Brazil, which, which will mean that going into this, uh, into that final game, Peru and Uruguay will both be um, be clear. And if if that comes out as a draw between us, Uruguay four points away from um, from Chile, uh, and Peru two points, uh, three points away from them. So knowing that they could get that 
uh, just that win in Paraguay should should take each other through. Um, I guess it all it, it all depends on if Chile can get a big shock result and if there's a winner out of uh, Peru and Uruguay. I think Chile will be hoping for a Uruguay win um, so that it, that it stays in touch with Peru. But it's it's going to be it's going to take a lot, I think, for Chile or especially Colombia to to break into that top five. But it, anything can happen. <laughs> we yeah. say that, but I think that's the more sensible look at it prediction wise yeah. <laughs> I, I think you're probably right there i mean for for the neutral it would be great if, if it was all going down to the final game um but um yeah i think i think a lot will be decided in that in that uruguay peru game so that's going to be definitely the one to watch out there but um you know there's, there's always drama and um it's, it's going to be a really fascinating last couple of games um so now um we'll move on to uh, some of the big transfers, um, a bit of a, a switch now, just to to see our thoughts and uh, on on some some pretty big moves in the transfer window. Obviously, the 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 big ones: um, Luis Diaz to Liverpool and Julian Alvarez to Man City. You've also got Bruno Guimaraes coming coming to the Premier League as well with Newcastle. Um, I mean, what, what what are your thoughts on the on the Diaz move to Liverpool? First of all, uh, so this looks like. Um like a really exciting one for um, Liverpool and Diaz as well, mostly because he's he's going to one of the biggest one of the biggest clubs in the world without that pressure of having to walk in and be a starter and change things. They obviously you see how Liverpool play when they when they've lost Mane and uh, Salah and the, the players coming in. Uh, it, it seems to me like too much of a drop off. I mean, I don't think that's a particularly wild thing to say. I mean, they've got uh, Jota uh, and Firmino, who seem to be a good rotation, but they're, 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 those wide players seem to be something that they haven't uh, haven't addressed previously. But Luis Diaz coming in now, knowing that he can work with Mane and Salah, be able to spend that time. He's got half a season now coming into, coming into this league where he can... I'm unsure of his understanding of English. Maybe he needs to learn um, learn the language a bit, get used to the culture. And he's got that. He's got this second half of the season to really sort of get adapted, and ready for next season, where he can start to push on a bit more. Um, and I think anything that they can, any big games that they can get out of Luis Diaz, maybe could almost be considered a bonus for Liverpool. It seems it seems a really really good time to bring him in, especially when they paid a lot less than what his release clause was. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's you're, you're totally right with that adaptation period. Um, that's going to be that's just be a nice luxury for for a team like Liverpool to have that they've they've got you know what everyone's probably pointing to as the the Mane replacement down the line ready and waiting to to be eased into the first team. I mean, he's such an exciting player. I think Liverpool fans potentially if it all goes well uh, have got a real exciting talent to watch in front of them. He's he's the type of guy who you can pull out a skill or do something really interesting that that changes a game and at the very least he's going to be really fun to watch and and also I I definitely point people towards one of our old World Football Index podcasts where we we did a profile on him probably about 3 years ago now with uh, Simon Edwards and and he explained a lot about the kind of region he's from in Colombia. He's he's part of from an area of Colombia where traditionally there aren't as many footballers uh, produced right up on the peninsula near uh, Venezuela. And uh, yeah, very interesting um, backstory to Diaz. And, and he's someone who's 
come on and done better than I think we could have potentially ever imagined in Europe. So it's a it's a huge move for him, and and hopefully he'll be uh, finding his scoring boots that he, he's currently not able to do for the Colombian national team. So um, definitely a huge one that I'm really looking forward to there. And then other than that, the the other big big. Uh, move is is obviously Julian Alvarez. He's not going to join Man City until uh, June or July. But certainly from the words of uh, of Pep today, it definitely seems like he's someone who's who is going to be joining in the summer rather than um, the potential that a lot of River fans were hoping of keeping him until the end of the year. But um, yeah, that is going to be an absolute fantastic um, story to watch because he's um, such a yeah, such a promising young player and who's absolutely ripped it up in, in Argentina over the last year. And he just feels like a really good fit for Man City, don't you think, Mike? Yeah, he's um, he looks like a real pep striker almost, doesn't it? It's, um, he's not he's not an, uh, an Aguero replacement at all. Um, he can do that. He seems to be able to do those things. It seems when you see some of these players, uh, when you see signings maybe come, come into your side and you're like, yeah, he can do this well. Um, and then this stuff he's he's quite good at and he can learn. But whereas with Alvarez, he seems to be able to do everything well. He can play in that nine. He can be that poacher in the box. He's got a lot of, uh, a lot of pace, good acceleration to be able and re like reacts really quickly. But he's great outside the box as well on the wings. Um, he can move around with the rotation that Man City have with their forward line. I, it just seems it just seems a perfect match. Yeah, no, I think I think he's another one who's not going to have that pressure of coming in straight away and and making an impact. We've seen Man City do so well in strikerless formations that uh, I think he'll be brought in, eased in. But uh, you know, he's he's someone who's been really highly thought of by the the national team set up, and and certainly he was getting uh, game time. It certainly feels like Lautaro and uh, Alvarez are the the two strikers that are going to build the Argentina attack going forward and you know where better to learn and continue his development um than the Man City I think oh I really hope it, it goes well but I think even even if it doesn't pay off and we only see glimpses of him or he doesn't quite make it as a starter you know there's no shame in that in such a star-studded team that he's at least going to have a good base to then potentially go on somewhere else in Europe and, and rip it up. His development over the last year and, and the confidence he's playing with as well has just um, has really impressed me. I mean, he's always been a player that that we've we've liked a lot here. Again, I think there's um, a scouting spotlight podcast on Alvarez from a, from a year or so ago um, that is worth checking out as well. But he's someone who's always had eyes on him. You know, Real Madrid's scout, uh, well, uh, training and um, potentially was was going to join them at a, a young age, but couldn't. And then someone who was brought on for his fourth appearance in the Libertadores final against Boca, which, you know, it doesn't get much bigger than that. So the fact that Gajardo has shown that faith in him and and just kept with him and in this switch to the centre forward role this season, he's, he's just really seen him flourish. And um, yeah, it's, it's going to be great. Any Anyone else um, that's moved either from South America or within South America, North America, that's that's caught your eye that you're going to be keeping an eye on this year, Mike? Um, I really like the look of uh, Matias Arezzo, uh, River Plate in Uruguay, um, going to Granada yeah. and La Liga. Um, in Granada, um, they've got the other Luis Suarez up front um, <laughs> alongside, um, I think it's Molina, um, the 39-year-old striker. Um, so they obviously, they're, lo- they're looking long-term for a replacement um, for Jorge uh, Molina. 
I think their other, the only other striker on their squad list is Carlos Baca. Again, he's um, 35. So I think Arezzo, for me, when I've been watching him previously, he looks like um, how, I, uh, how I saw, like, when you look back at a very young uh, Sergio Aguero coming through in um and starting to find his feet. I feel like Arezzo has like some of those traits. They're a similar build, the way he plays, quite aggressive. And he's coming to the River Plate side in uh, Uruguay. And at such a young age, he's becoming incredibly, incredibly key part. I think going over to um, going over to Granada is a really great step. I think they're a, de- a decent side, mid table at the moment. Um, and he's got all the. Uh, all, similar to Luis Diaz I think he's got that time to be able to settle in um, and really make make next season his like his chance to be at the, the starter alongside Luis Suarez um, definitely yeah and I, I think the fact that Atletico Madrid were so heavily linked with him is shows what a coup it is for Granada um, Areso is someone I've absolutely loved watching and I think he's got almost 50 goals and assists in, in about 90 games and he's still yeah. only 19 which is which is absolutely mad even in a you know league like Uruguay um he is someone who stood out head and shoulders above um lots of talent so I've I've definitely got him him pegged as a, having a big future and I suppose the the other ones is is becoming more and more of a theme it is those moves up to MLS with Facundo Torres going to Orlando Alan Velasco going to Dallas and obviously the probably the biggest name out of all those Thiago Almada looks like he is he's moved on his way to Atlanta um after um his court case seemed to all be settled up there as well so they're three absolutely brilliant talents as well all probably could already do a job in Europe but um yeah they they're looking looking good as as well um so yeah um, any any other names or any thoughts on any of those players, Mike? Before we wrap things up, yeah, I think it's. Um, uh, I've been watching the uh, what Orlando have been doing. See, they've moved on from uh, Daryl DK. He's gone went to West Brom. Uh, Muller went over to uh, Muller went over to Hibs, and uh, Nani uh, his contract uh, came to an end. He's gone to Venezia, so they've had to re- completely re- rechange their forward line and <laughs> making Facundo Torres a designated player. So he's he's going to be a key part of this this side going forward. So, uh, big statement to how well he's been doing in uh, Uruguay and how how highly thought of he is going over to the MLS it seems like especially for South American players they, it's, it, it's it's got to a point where they don't have to gamble on uh, Europe going to countries where they may not speak the language obviously there's a big South American Central American um, population in the US so there's maybe it's a uh, it can be an easier way to um to acclimatize, especially going to sort of into Florida, so uh, it gives them that, that opportunity. And with the MLS growing, there's obviously obviously sides in in Europe who are watching a number of players. Um, the U.S. men's national team, like Pepe, has gone across to um, uh, the strikers, gone over to Augsburg in Germany. So is it, it's not like they're going to the MLS and it's just oh, I can earn a bit of money here and play an easy game of football. There's still that chance to keep continue to. Um, continue to progress and to continue to be uh to continue to be seen yeah definitely and I, I think you know there's a real chance that one of these players might be one of the the first certainly sort of Argentinian or Uruguayan to, to to make that really big leap from MLS straight across to Europe um it's I think it's it's really going to be an interesting to see that dynamic and, and how that works. So yeah, definitely players to keep an eye on as I'm sure many of our listeners will be uh, looking forward to seeing. So I think that's about 
all we've got for today. It's uh, good to good to get podcasting again and a, a fantastic debut from Mike. Hopefully we'll be doing some more episodes coming up um, over the next few months, certainly with the Libertadores getting underway pretty soon. There'll, there'll be plenty of room to discuss that too. Um, so yeah, where can people find you um, on, on Twitter, Mike, and uh, anything to plug before we wrap it up? Uh, so yeah, you can find me. Uh, it's at Mike Rice uh, nineteen eighty three on Twitter. So you can find me mostly uh, talking about South America, and especially Peruvian football and a bit of MLS. Um, and then uh, if anyone's particularly interested in Peruvian football, um, have a uh, podcast, uh, the Peru Waltz, uh, which is on well, yeah, the normal podcast uh, spaces. Excellent. Um, yeah, be sure to to follow Mike and uh, and check out the Peru Waltz. Um, you can find me on Twitter at TomRobbo89. Um, there's a Golasso podcast that I've done with Peter um, that, is, that has just come out where we looked back at the, um, well, the, who we've rated the 50 best young talents in um, Argentinian young talents, not necessarily just in Argentina, but around the world. Um, so be sure to give that um, a, a listen. And um, yeah, just generally follow me on there for, for all the latest. And obviously follow world football index on twitter and if you can give us a a like a subscribe a rating whatever on on all the usual uh, sites there so i think that should be everything and uh, look forward to speaking to you all again soon